Hello again, friends, and welcome to another fun-filled edition of Syracuse Basketball Postgame presented by Krause Health, the official healthcare partner for SU Athletics. Brent Axe, Mike Waters with you tonight after, uh, let's say that's a weird win. That's how I'm going to put it, Mike, a weird win for the Syracuse University Basketball Orange. They take down NC State 87-83. to Chris Bell scores 26 points in the first half. Doesn't score in the second half. <laughs> Claudia Copeland has 25 points. Judah Mintz, 15 points, all in the second half. A 15-point lead for the Orange evaporates. It comes down the stretch. Free throws matter. The Orange hit 18 of 19 in what was a, uh, I will say, a strangely officiated game. A lot of weird, strange things happened in this game. And Mike, uh, if anything, what this team has done is it has beat the hell out of that great meme and, of course, the only good scene from Godfather 3. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. (laughs) They win, they lose, they win, they lose. They beat North Carolina. They only score 60 points against Georgia Tech. They had 55 at halftime in this game, and then a high-scoring game where D.J. Horn scores 32 for NC State, by the way, and they win by four. Can you make sense of this for me? Because I'm having a hard time. I can't make any more sense out of this than I could trigonometry in high school, Brad. I mean, describing this game is like describing different parts of a roller coaster. It's like there were ups, there were downs, there were crazy twists and turns. Some of it made you excited and happy. Some of it made you want to throw up in your mouth. Um, I mean, really, it really was. I mean, at some time, like in the first half when the ball is moving and Chris Bell is getting open shots and, you know, you're like, man, this is great. It's you happening know? here, yeah. Ah, ah. <laughs> and I, you know, for the roller coaster meme, and then uh, oh, the second half, it's like, oh, buckle up, um, this is brutal again. It was just, it was rocky road. It's grinding. It's, um, you know, and you just see that 15 point lead evaporate. NC State takes the lead. You know, in the final minutes there, you're like, oh, well, you know, when the home team rallies from 15 down and takes a lead, you know, it's all over, right? And then NC State doesn't score in the last two minutes of the game. Go figure. I don't know. Go figure. I, we can we can pick it apart, but I'm we just really can right now. I don't know. I don't know either, but a win is a win in this case. And look, I don't think this team's going to make the NCAA tournament. But, Mike, we're at a point still where I can't say I know they're not going to make it. Like, there's still just this little fleeting. You're telling me there's a chance if they go on a run and they, no matter what, have to go on a serious run in the ACC tournament coming up, right? But they're not dead. And, look, this quad one win that they picked up tonight might not be a quad one win tomorrow because that's just how the quad system works and how it changes and how flawed it is. But... This team, I, I just put North Carolina in the name, and they're and they're going to play well, and they're going to win that game. So you know, I know they're playing Notre Dame on Saturday, but maybe they can change the name to Notre Dame North Carolina on the scoreboard or something because they just seem to play well against North Carolina teams as of late. Mike, let's go to the first half and why was Chris Bell so hot? And I thought was going to set a record tonight. The record for made threes in a game is shared by several players, and that's nine. He halts at eight. He was well on his way to tying or at the very case, beating the record. We thought he was going to make it run at Dennis Scott, who has the ACC record for 11 threes in a single game. We discussed what happened in the second half there. We'll get more into it. But what was he doing in the first half just to get so open and and, and just was white hot in that in that first half? 
you know, first he was making his shots, you know, and Chris Bell's like a lot of shooters. Uh, when they see the ball and go in the basket once, all they want is another shot. They want to take what now they're ready to go. They, they want to take the next one and make it. And they're just in a rhythm and they kept giving them the ball, you know, to, to, to make eight threes in the first half, you're getting consistent, you know, looks. So you're never cooling down. Also, listen, as great as a half as it was, a lot of it was NC State was losing it. They gave him open shots. And a couple of those early ones, especially, like, what are you leaving a shooter open for? It's like, you know, that was in the scouting report, right? Uh, in the second half, he was not open. They didn't give him open looks. He hardly got the ball. You know, he's not the type of guy who runs his defender ragged, shall we say? Like, he's not like running around, running around no. like Andy Routens used to. Uh, nonstop motion, rubbing off screens, back cut, you know, popping open. No, he and hangs in the corner. He does. He, yeah. he hangs in That's the a corner spot. a lot, which is fine if it's your spot. But, you know, it, it means if the other team refuses to help off of you, you will not be open. So, in a way, his role in second half became the, you know, be the guy who NC State couldn't help off of. And that's part of the reason why Judah found a little bit more success there in the second half when he's driving the ball, no help defender. Um, you know, also you had Quadir was a little, you know, was finding spots as well. But, you know, I, I will criticize a little bit the, the offense in the second half. I mean, yes, NC State did a wonderful job of just saying, okay, we're not going to let Chris Bell shoot anymore. Done. But the ball didn't move as crisply as it did in the first half. Not at all. Yeah. So, not at all. And that we've seen that before out of this team. The ball mm -hmm. starts to stick. They, you know, they do have a couple guys in Judah and JJ who, you know, need the ball in their hands in order to drive and score in the lane. So if you're doing that, sometimes the ball doesn't move as well. But, you know, so it was a give and take there. But, yeah, I, yeah, I was with you. At halftime, I was fully convinced we were going to see a new Syracuse record set. Somewhere James Sutherland is like the 72 <laughs> Dolphins. And he's cracking <laughs> There's quite a few guys on that list, right? You got Quadier Copeland, you got Jerry McNamara, uh, Trevor Cooney. John I'm missing Gillen. a couple there. John Gillen on that floor, by the way. Yes. Did it at NC State. Yeah. That was an overtime game. Uh, yep. You know, not, not taking anything away from John in case he's watching. Andy Routens is your fifth guy. Um, and Andy Routens had nine in a game against somebody. But, uh, yeah, it would have been a neat list to join, and you got to wonder if some point Chris might get there. This is the second time this season he's had eight threes in a game. I mean, I would have bet the mortgage he was going to at least tie that record in the second half. It's a good thing I don't bet on sports. Quadier Copeland, like second half in particular, just look, he saved Syracuse's bacon. He really yeah. did. I mean, defensive plays, getting to the hoop, hitting shots, free throws down the stretch. He had one play where he kind of like one-handed a pass and put it in. He had another beautiful scoop shot, kind of went from one side of the backboard to the other, dare I say Jordan-esque in that way, making defensive plays. And we're going to get to this with our Syracuse Sports Insiders because Mike, is, as you well know, and I'm just kind of at the point where I just don't care anymore about this, but Q plays with a little bit of flair and sometimes that can get the best of him and he's jawing with fans and he just does it with a smile on his face, and he's kind of the 2024 version of Eric Devendorf in that way. He doesn't do it with a snarl like Devendorf did, but he's kind of becoming that guy that opponents love to hate and opposing 
fan bases love to hate. And even some SU fans look at it and say, yeah, you don't have to do that. But I don't know. I just kind of like the way he plays on that edge of confidence and cockiness. And they don't win this game without him, particularly what he did in the second half. You know, uh, another play that was, I think, you know, important and that at least kept uh, Syracuse with the ball was uh, there was a, a missed shot late in the second half. You know, this was not a game where Syracuse got a lot of rebounds on either end of the floor. He, I don't know if he gets credit for a rebound on this or not, but he had inside position and he drew a foul on NC State's uh, Taylor. You know, and they retained possession. Uh, you know, at the under five minute mark, he got that fast break layup. He's out there on the break. The the play where DJ Burns, the NC State center, gets called for the flagrant. Uh, that was right after State had tied the game at 76 all. You know, NC State's got all the momentum of the world. They finally tie the game. And in the blink of an eye, quite years out on the break, getting a layup that he made and drawing a flagrant foul on the other yeah. team. Center. Great you know, point. He makes one out of two free throws. It's the only free throw Syracuse didn't make the whole game long was was that one after on the flagrant foul there. And then Syracuse has possession. Now, I, I you know, and, and Quadir is the one that scores on that out of possession. So Quadir scores five in a row on one trip down the floor. All of a sudden you got that five point lead again. Yes. NC state is going to come back and take a lead in a few minutes, but if they had kept that momentum going earlier around the five minute mark, I don't know if Syracuse is able to survive at the very end. I mean, NC state might've had so much momentum. They might've raced right past them, but that rebreak. Uh, and the flagrant foul, I thought was huge. Well, the flagrant foul, and I want to pause there for a minute here because sure. can they please call something on Kevin Keats? That guy <laughs> does not leave the floor. He's the new buzz. And they're saying on the broadcast, like Jay Alter and now Hall of Famer, congratulations to her, Debbie Antonelli, yeah. saying on the broadcast, like the refs, they're not going to review it. It's a flagrant. But Kevin Keats was throwing such a fit on the sideline that they basically had to go over and tell him to calm down and that they're not going to review it. Meanwhile, you got Q standing at the free throw line. It's like, that's not fair to the other team that you're over there throwing a fit and you got a guy who's ready to shoot free throws. The refs needed to take command of the game, tell him to shut up or call a technical on him because he would not settle down. He's on the court the whole game. It drives me crazy when yeah, coaches I'm, do I'd that. I'd be interested in, like, uh, you know, finding out. You know, obviously, I'm not there tonight, and I don't really know if this is, like, I think it's going to be lost in the shuffle because of everything else that happened. But I would be curious, how did he get that review? I don't think he was arguing whether it was a flagrant or not. I, I have to wonder if he wasn't disputing whether Quadir was in the act or not, even though he clearly was in the act of shooting, the basket should have counted. Um, he shouldn't have got the review one way or the other. I mean, I, I think, think he, well, I think it iced the shooter a little bit. Now, Quadir right, did yeah. make the first. He made, throw. he did. But so once you make the first as a shooter, you, you think you're going to make, but the take second. control of the game. Like yeah. I get coaches have the right to ask for certain reviews. It was like one half a second. Look at that review. And Burns was not going for the ball. It was a clear flagrant. Oh, yeah, that was Let, no doubt. That yeah. drove me crazy. But anyway, it was that kind of game, right? A lot of stuff like that happened all over the place. I tell you so, what was amazing. Um, you know, the, the play very late in the game when uh, State is down two, they've called timeout with under about 13 seconds to go. But obviously, they're going to try to get the ball to DJ Horn. He's got 32 already. He put up a very difficult, highly contested shot with Quadir Copeland guarding him. 
State, Keats, Horn, they all wanted the foul call. And it was close. That was a close call. I didn't get a, good, a chance to watch the replay as a bunch of Syracuse fans did because I was working. Uh, I had my head down in the laptop and we're and writing. I did see that replay. I'm yeah. surprised they didn't call it. Are you really? I will. Yeah. I will see. Like I, the, the free That's throw right disparity. State bench. It's right in front of the state bench too. The free throw disparity. Frankly, Syracuse should have been at the line a bunch more in this game. Mm-hmm. But the ones they got, they took advantage of going 18 of 19, as we mentioned. That call you're mentioning, you probably got to call that, considering what you did call throughout this game. So I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. I Mike, think the one reason okay. maybe he didn't get the call is because the way DJ Horn went up for it was so awkward and unorthodox. It was almost like, where you're trying to like lean in and, and draw the foul. And a lot of times yeah, it, referees, the game is so fast. A lot of referees, they learn visual cues. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if they see the downward motion with a defender, with a hand trying to go for a ball, even if like there's not, if they see that downward motion, it's going to get a whistle like 90% of the time. A lot of times when you shoot or see a shooter flail like that, that's a visual cue and they're not going to bail you out. That's actually something Judah Mintz needs to learn. I was uh, just going to say, he gets that all the time, but he gets it in the paint. This was a three-point shot, and you know a little what? different. He didn't yeah. get it as much tonight. That's so true. In a, in a weird yeah. way, this crew remained consistent. They weren't bailing out guys for, like, going in and, like, creating contact and flailing a lot. And it was frustrating Judah, you could tell. And, you know, I, again, I think that's why Horn was frustrated, you know, wanted that call. But a lot of people on both ends didn't get that particular type of call tonight. Mike, on Judah, I thought this was such a contrast of what the good and bad of Judah Mintz. In the first half, he sits on the bench. He only played 10 minutes, I believe, in the first half of this game. It was set on the broadcast. It was clear. Look, Chris Bell was white hot. It was the one who was going to be getting the ball one way or the other. But the offense was better in the first half with Judah Mintz on the bench. I'm not it saying was. that's got to be the case all the time, but in this game it was. In the second half, now again... Here's where I'm going to bounce all over the place here. Judah Mintz is 15 points. They don't win this game without those 15 points. There were at least three calls he should have got, as you noted. The refs were just not giving him what he usually looks for mm-hmm. in this game. There's a three-pointer at the end. Chris Bell sitting wide open next to him, and he takes the three, right? But I look at that second half and some drives he made to the basket, some calls that he did get. He was 4 or 14 shooting in this game. That's right on the, on the line. You had a great stat one of your recent five things to know, that if Judas shoots a certain amount, Syracuse loses, like flat out. The higher shoot uh, shot attempts he, he gets, it feels yeah, like they lose those games. And he was right on that line tonight. Yeah, he was right on that line tonight. You know, the offense looked worse in the second half than it did in the first. I don't think I'm going to lay that on the, at the feet of any one player, especially not Judah. You know, I, I know some fans are going to be like, oh, the ball didn't move, you know, sharing. and But remember, it looked great and easy in the first half because Chris Bell made eight threes. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. State wasn't defending very well. They weren't, they, they were giving him those open shots. So of course the ball's going to go to the hands of an open three point shooter. Once they took him away in the second half and they really did. Um, now you have to work for everything. And it was work. Um, you know, so yeah, it was just tougher in the second half. I think part of it was NC State made it so. That's fair. I think that's fair to say. 
it's just it it's fast it fascinates me to see that contrast. Even JJ, who was what six of fifteen tonight, yeah, he made some key buck key buckets in the second half. Just looking at some other things, Mike Malik Brown tonight, kind of quiet for his standards. Six points, four rebounds, played thirty four minutes. He had four fouls in this game, and that's always something you got to be careful with, of course, with Malik. As uh, you noted earlier today, Mike Peter Carey. I didn't even travel with the team, so he was not available in this game. We'll see if he's available and ready to go on Saturday. He's dealing with a concussion, so you have to be careful with that. Another uh, stat line where it's pretty low for Justin Taylor, just two points for him in 17 minutes. We've seen Kyle Cuff get in a little more consistently as of late. He had a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists in nine minutes in this game. But we know who won this game for Syracuse. It was the Chris Bell Quadir show with uh, a little supporting uh, cast there from from Judah and JJ. It was that type of night. Yeah, it really was. And it's really kind of amazing they could win a game with Malik's numbers being so modest, uh, so low for his Especially stand. with, you know, Bell and, and, and the players that NC State goes with inside. You would think yeah. you need a bigger night out of Malik. You would think, um, you know, he kept out of foul trouble for most of the night. He did finish with four. A couple of those came very late in the game. So he actually did a good job staying out of foul or, trouble. Or Burns, my, my fault. Not, not yeah, I know. Burns. I heard yeah. you say Burns. You know, you know, know. you know who I'm talking about. Big I dude exactly. in the middle, Burns. Yeah, The big guy. <laughs> the big guy. Um, you know, it was a tough night. I think Burns is a tough matchup for Malik. Although, you know, he did pretty well in that first NC State game up here. You know, this is the, at least two games in a row now, though, where Malik hasn't been getting the ball as much, you know, offensively. I think he only had two shots in the Georgia Tech game, made them both. Tonight, he only takes four shots. He only made one of them. It was a kind of a, it was, it's been a struggle for him of late. Um, you know, he could use a couple days off here because uh, they're going to need him uh, down the stretch uh, to get back to that, you know, 10 to 12.7 rebound three assists, five steal, you know, filling every box on the stat sheet type of player that he was there for, for a, a good stretch of the season. But, you know, back in January, early February, these last two games have been a, a struggle for Malik. Uh, I, I would like to see him kind of get going again. They, they, they need him. Mike, one last thought before we let you go here, because you get asked this a lot and I get asked this a lot. So I just kind of want to put it on the record here on this podcast. We get given the short bench, given the injuries, People are asking why William Patterson isn't playing and where Chance Westry is at in his development, right? So let's just put it out there officially. We're laughing because we get asked this a lot. But people are curious. They want to know what the deal is. So let's, as best you know, why we're not going to see either one of those two down the stretch. Well, Chance still hasn't been cleared to practice. He's not practiced yet. He's not gone full out in practice. There so. was footage of him at practice on like an Instagram video. People are like, is he back? Is he back? It's like, well, there's a difference between shooting. It, yeah, exactly. That's not like yeah, practice. That's not Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice. That's a different kind of thing. And listen, yeah. even if like, let's say tomorrow, well, actually tomorrow's an off day. So you know, let's say he comes back and practices full court, five on five. He's able to go on Thursday. You're looking at a guy who hasn't played in over a year, are you really going to risk burning a medical red shirt for four regular season games at this point? How much do you no. really think Chance Westry is going to help? I mean, this is sort of like the backup quarterback syndrome for fans. Um, you know, I, I think Chance, you know, can be a great player, but I think he's going to be a great player next season at this point. Um, you know, William Patterson, why, you know, again, um, you hope Peter's back by Saturday against Notre Dame. And if he is, then you go back to like, you still have, you know, your three, you know, three centers, you have Malik, you have Peter, and then Munir is your emergency guy. Um, 
the coaches know what they got. If, if I think I think if they thought William Patterson could really help them win a game right now, if he was better than Peter Carey or Munir Hima, he'd be he'd play. But no, not going to do that to him. He's a freshman. He's not played in twenty six games or however many it is twenty seven. 27 games. You've, you know, you don't play him at this point. It would, it would be unfair to the kid. Uh, and that's it. Like when you're this far down the road and you haven't played and you throw him into the pool here, like why? But that's the thing. That team is such on the line of, I don't think they're going to the tournament, but I don't know they're not going to the tournament yet. If this was like, a, I don't know, losing record or you had a little bit more room to play with and they were healthier, maybe, maybe you see those guys. But at this point, uh, no, we're just not going to see it. But uh, we appreciate your questions. We really do. I, you guys are curious, want to know what's going on with the team. But, uh, yeah, they're kind of at the point of no return with either one of those guys. And now, uh, watch, I say that, and they'll both play on, against Notre Dame. I know, right? Day. Yeah, we just jinxed it. We just jinxed it. It's like, oh, no. Mike and Brent. Thank you, Michael. Good insight as always, my friend. We will uh, see you again soon. Oh, and don't forget to plug my five podcasts in five days leading up to Jim Bayhunt. Oh, Day. that's okay. right. How dare I not uh, plug this? Because it's been <laughs> great. So, uh, are are you ready to reveal a couple more names that are coming up, or is this like a daily reveal type of thing? What's uh, how, how we how are we going to plug this? I think a lot of fans out there have already guessed tomorrow's guest because they were asking me earlier in the week uh, about PJ Carlos. Someone asked about PJ Carlissimo. Uh, and I said, well, I do have a different Italian-American coach who used to be in the Big East. <laughs> and if you know anything about Jim Beheim, Syracuse basketball history, and his coaching staffs, you know exactly who's coming on Wednesday. It's the coach of St. John's. Oh, it's not Raleigh Massimino, right? <laughs> you said Italian-American. I'm going through all the names. Lou Carnesecca. Lou Carnesecca. There's a lot. Exactly. Got, you're right. Who I would be great Louis. to have, by the way. Louis C. Uh, but yeah, it is Rick Pitino. And I think Mike talked to Rick before uh, he kind of crushed his team <laughs> in a post-game situation recently. So uh, I don't yes, think you got to ask him about that. But Don't ask me why I didn't ask Rick about that because I did exactly. talk to him before that game. So, uh, And then uh, we're going to keep Thursday and Friday's guests on the, on, on the, on the QT right now. We're going to – Okay. Yeah. So Looking forward to it. Day by day. But believe me, the, the, the ones coming up are really fun and revealing and – interesting you're i think fans will like him so mike said a five podcast in five days leading up to the big jim Beheim celebration on saturday uh, make sure you subscribe to the inside syracuse basketball podcast you can find it on our youtube channel syracuse orange sports on syracuse.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcast and looking forward to the ones coming down the pike here as we get closer to saturday michael thanks a lot thank you brent have a good night now you too sir there he is the one and only ladies and gentlemen mike waters we're working them hard, man. Five podcasts in five days. Whew. I got to keep up with that guy. Don't give the boss any ideas there. Oh, Brent, you're only doing like two podcasts a week. Water's over there doing five a week. Got to pick up the pace here a little bit. What do you say we pick up the pace with our Syracuse sports insiders who were texting great things throughout the game? And we would love for you to join the party, friends. Being a Syracuse sports insider means you get to text me directly. I text you directly. Your questions, comments, opinions, insight, whatever's on your mind, anytime, you text it directly to me at 315-847-3895. What you want to do is text the word orange to that number, and you will get a link to sign up. And the cool thing about uh, being a Syracuse sports insider is you can try it out free for two weeks. 
come on board, see what's happening. And then it's just $3.99 a month after that. Our community is growing. Love hearing from our Syracuse Sports Insider, getting to meet our Syracuse Sports Insiders, and uh, come on by. We are having a blast with it, and you guys get your questions and comments answered on every Syracuse Sports Podcast and Syracuse Basketball postgame show. And leading us off tonight is Michael S., who says, Chris Bell had a GMAC in the national championship first half, and fortunately, Quadir became his Carmelo in the second half of this game. Good way to put it there, Michael. As Vern says, oi, so happy to get the quad one road win, but are you kidding me? Was the second half game plan to ignore Chris Bell? Vern adding, not only did he not score after dropping 26 in the first half, I don't know if he shot or even touches the ball for more than a few seconds. And this is what I was talking about with Mike a few minutes ago. I'm all over the place on this. There's got to be a way to get Chris Bell involved in the offense in the second half. Now, Chris Bell tends to linger in the corner too much. Mike said it. He's not Andy Routens just running around the three-point line like Wiley Coyote, right? But there's got to be a way to run some plays, get him involved, charge it up, right? You can see the frustration on his face. There were a couple times I mentioned the Judah Mintz three that he took. Chris Bell's right next to him, wide open. The more high-percentage shooter, it shot all the boxes you got to check there. Judah can't be taking that three. So you go back and forth. He had 26 points in the first half. He had eight three-pointers. I would have bet the mortgage that guy's going to at least tie the record of nine threes made in the game doesn't get there. The the all-over-the-place nature of this team really showed up in this game there. So I'm all over the place on that one. NC State did defend him better. There's no question. There were times that Burns came out. And, and guarded Chris Bell on three-point attempts, the few that he did have, or the times he saw the ball in the second half. But that's where I think, again, people get frustrated with what can become kind of an ISO offense when Judah and JJ, for that matter, in this game tonight, kind of take matters in their own hands. But that's on Bell, too, because he just kind of goes and hangs in that corner and just expects the ball to come to him, which in this game, why wouldn't you, as hot as he was in the second half? So all of, I'm telling you, my thoughts are all over the place. On this game. Can he be frustrated by a win? I think sometimes you can be. But Kevin S notes it here. Just one thing to say, Brent. Hashtag free throws matter. This is why free throws matter, guys. These are the games where they matter. When it's tight, you're getting to the line. And the officiating in this game, I'm sorry, was abysmal. Judah Mintz got just flat out hacked. And look, Judah complains a lot about not getting calls, but he should have got those calls, right? Judah, I think, expects calls. He's been he's very good at it. He gets in the paint and almost expects every time he goes in there, either he's going to score or he's going to get fouled, right? He has kind of trained his game to think that way. There were two calls I can think of off the top of my head that he did not get, that he should have got. Syracuse went to the free throw line 19 times, made 18 free throws matter. They should have been at the free throw line at least 28 times in this game. I mentioned the Kevin Keats thing. Call technical on that guy. He's on the court. He's throwing a hissy fit on the sideline. At some point, as an officiating crew, you have to take control of the game and tell him to get his butt back where he belongs. That drives me crazy. I hate when coaches do that and think they can be anywhere on the court. There's a reason they they pass that rule and you have to stay behind that line, right? He's the new buzz. It drives me nuts. That one situation I talked about with Mike, that is unfair to Quadier Copeland to leave him hanging on the free throw line. It did ice him. He only made one of two, the one they missed in the game. So it ultimately did not mattering there. But 
grow up, take control of the game back from these coaches that, I mean, they clearly said, we're not going to review this. It's a flagrant deal with it, right? Can you tell? I'm still, it's still chapping me at this point, but come on. I feel like this has become a theme. And look, Syracuse fans think every officiating crew is out to get them. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes, you know, the old ACC bias comes in. It's not bias, guys. I talk about this during football season, too. It's just you have some crews that are inconsistent. They're just inconsistent. They're not biased because we talked about that call that Quadir probably should have got at the end of the game. It did go both ways. But generally, I'm with you tonight. The officiating, let's just say it was inconsistent. And I'll be nice and leave it at that. Sandra says, a great win down to the wire. Did you notice Copeland John with the NC State fans after the game? What are your thoughts on that? And I'm going to go over a couple more texts here. Bruce D says, I like Q's fire, but he needs to keep his mouth shut more often. This team needs more discipline, I think. Nonetheless, a huge win. And uh, Paul Leo adds this. Who can figure this orange team out? Back in December, we all said this was going to be a fun squad to watch. They aren't going dancing, but it has been a crazy ride. Okay, now on on Copeland. I got to say, guys, I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I, th- I think this is just a different generation of player. Michael Jordan, this is the second time I've made a Jordan comparison to Q tonight. Jawed all the time. I know that's the pros. This is college. I'm going to make a weird comparison here, but it's the thought that popped in my head. I don't know if any of you guys out there are a fan of the show, The West Wing. That's one of my all-time favorite shows. And one of my favorite episodes of The West Wing is Let Bartlett Be Bartlett, right? You got to let Q be Q. That's how he plays. He does it with a smile on his face. He does it with flair. He does jaw with uh, fans and, and sometimes the officials, sometimes the opposing coaches. I think it's all in good fun. It's part of his game. There are times when he tries to make kind of that extra pass he doesn't have to make, the behind the pass, behind the back pass, pardon me, that he doesn't have to make. But he's consistent in this. That's who he is. So to tell him to not do some of those things you're mentioning, you're telling him not to play his game, and that's a game that scored 25 points tonight, that made huge defensive plays down the stretch, that hit those free throws. Q wants the ball in his hand. He does straddle that line between confident and cocky, and I think you need a player like that out there. And I made the Devendorf comparison. Now, Devendorf did it with a snarl on his face. Q does it with a smile on his face. That can mess with the other team. When you have somebody that's just playing the way they're playing, and when you look at them, they just got that smile, right? And that can just take another team out of their game. That's how he plays. Do I shake my head sometimes? I do, right? But I also try to remember he's, how old is Q, right? 20, 21 years old, having the time of his life as a college basketball player. I just, I got to let it go. Now, there's probably going to be something that happens down the road here. We'll be like, you found the line and you stepped over it. I'm not giving him like a complete hall pass on this, but I think you got to let Q be Q. That's my answer to that. You guys might not like that, and I understand if you don't, but you got to remember who you're dealing with here, right? Just like uh, the big debate about the court storming after the North Carolina game and all the old fuddy-duddies saying, ah, you don't storm the court after you beat North Carolina. For those kids, they do. That was the first rank win that they saw in the Dome. First time Syracuse beat a top 10 team in five years. And everybody was fine. The one 
thing, not to go back to this debate, but the one thing you can sell me on about not storming the court is it's a safety issue, right? But those kids, that's their moment. Who are we to tell them, don't have your moment? Are they supposed to, like, consult you first? Well, hold on, let me text Grandpa before I rush the court. Hey, back in my day, we only rushed the court when we beat the number one team in the country. Like, well, that's your generation. Just a different generation of players. I try to keep that in mind. I try to be fair about that, but... Eh, if you don't like it, I guess I can see that. Kyle M says, good to see them finish and get the gritty road win when they deserve it. Still some questionable decision-making by a few guys down the stretch, but a first-half performance to remember from a guy who still has plenty of room to grow. Quad one win in the books. See, that's why I'm all over the place with this game. I think Mike made a good point about when Chris Bell's hitting his threes, the offense does move better, but the offense moved better without Judah out there in the first half but they don't win the game without his 15 points in the second half. He should have had probably 20 points because of the free throw opportunities that the officials took away from him. I don't have a lot of complaints about Quadir, but you can kind of look at some uh, some of those flare plays that he makes that rub people the wrong way. Chris Bell, 26 in the first half, just stands in the corner, offense more stagnant, not moving around in the second half. Justin Taylor, absent once again. In this game, Malik Brown, look, it was inevitable. They're asking him to do a lot. You got Burns in the paint there. Malik was doing so much that for him to be off a little bit, it's going to happen. Got into foul trouble, had four fouls. So you're not going to just have that double-double off the, the chart stats that Malik Brown has had at times this year. But there was such a yin and a yang about this game. This is like the yeah button win. They won. Yeah, but as some of you guys are pointing out here on our Syracuse Sports Insider text about (laughs) that's kind of the theme, looking at all my texts tonight. They won. Yeah, but what about this? Right? I said it earlier. Can you be frustrated with the win? But they did it. That's what this team does. I said it at the beginning of this podcast. I will say it again. They have burned out the Al Pacino just when I thought I was out. They pulled me back in type of situation right that's this team Lacey saying my random mish mishmash of thoughts my gosh my heart cardiac cues in this one hashtag free throws matter without shooting 95 percent from the line this game would have been a loss my man quadir delivering tonight so there's Lacey who likes the uh, quadir theatrics jeff says that was a great win syracuse made plays when they had to q was huge tonight judah was judah you knew They were not going to leave Bell open in the second half. Rob W. saying, Quadir had a great game, but I can deal without the extracurriculars. There is that again. Between his yapping to the student section, Judah complaining about fouls not called, and Bell getting into it with opposing fans on social media, it just shows how immature this team is. And look, I've said that a hundred times on this show. It's an immature basketball team that, to, to be fair, I have said on this show, they've got to grow up meaning other things as a basketball team, but there is some immature things that still exist this late in the season. A lot, they're pretty much all sophomores have not become juniors yet in some ways, but look how Judah played against North Carolina. Look how Quadier played tonight and in other big games. Chris Bell. There was a time when Chris Bell had just gone stagnant in the offense. He has been on his game several times down the stretch, evolving, growing, maturing as a player. I didn't say the social media stuff you're talking about, but name me a kid that doesn't get into the social media stuff. When you're in the public eye, like a Division I basketball player is, you got to be careful about that stuff. But John with the student section, I mean, that's all in good fun, 
right? I think you kind of have to keep this all in context. It doesn't change what you described and what I've said, to be fair, that it's an immature team. And with an immature team, you get some of the inconsistencies, even in a win like this. They're up by 15 points at halftime. That evaporates, but they did make the plays, hold off NC State, who didn't score in like the last two and a half minutes of the game, hit their free throws. And this team just as inconsistent as they are. When they find a way, right, it's just like I'm trying to think of a, a comparison here. Everybody's maybe had that that brother or sister or son or daughter or somebody you know in the family that <laughs> you don't quite know what you're going to get, and you kind of breathe a, sigh, you breathe a sigh of relief like when they come over th- for Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, Timmy behaved himself this time, right? That's kind of this team. A couple more from you guys. Jeff says, Adrian Autry. With a bare-bones roster, has managed to pull off a couple of huge quad one wins. Likely not enough for the tournament, but so hopeful for the future, he's the right man to lead this team. Jack H. says, shout out to the referees for making this game mean absolutely nothing about what happens on the floor. Yeah, they were they were terrible. The second half officiating was atrocious. All that said, as Jack notes, we did everything we could to lose the game. Autry's coaching decisions in the second half were baffling. He tried to get Bell the ball once in the second half. I wanted to uh, read those two texts back to back because it's interesting, the perception, right? I think generally Autry with, as Jeff noted, a bare bones roster, all the stuff that's happened, kick Benny Williams off the team, the ups and downs, the inconsistencies of this team. You beat the seventh ranked team in the country. One game, the next game, you only score 60 points. This game, 87 points, lead by 15 at halftime. Chris Bell is the night of his life, doesn't score in the second half. Like, it, it's actually appropriate how all over the place this team is. But then you look up, you're like, man, they're 17 and 10. They're 8 and 8 in the ACC. They're not making the tournament. But I can't, you know, who is it that uh, Seth Davis, right, does the Sharpie on Twitter whenever a team wins or something's over. You can't Sharpie this team yet out of the tournament. You can't. Like, I'm not putting money on it. They're not going to make it. But they're not out of it either. Like, they can theoretically go on a run here and then go on a run in the ACC tournament. The reason they're not going to do that is because this is a team that win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Like that's what they do. But just when you think they're out, they pull you back in Syracuse basketball, 2023, 2024 season. That is going to be the theme of this season. I think down the stretch. So they'll be back at it Saturday noon at the JMA Wireless Dome, the big celebration for Jim Beheim coming up. And as Mike noted, he's got a lot of great guests that have played with Jim Beheim, coached with Jim Beheim. And uh, by the time you get to Saturday, you're going to know everything you possibly need to know about the career. Not that you don't at this point, but a great reflection on Jim Beheim. And there will be a big celebration on Saturday at that game. Notre Dame coming in. Of course, J.J. Starling seeing the squad he played with for a year. So we'll see if. What we'll see what Syracuse team shows up on Saturday because they. This is actually not a good analogy. It's just the one that popped in my head. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Actually, there's a little like key when you get the box of chocolates. It tells you somebody should have told Forrest and his mom like, flip over the lid. It actually tells you the chocolates that are in the box. Anyway, that's this team though. You just don't know which Syracuse team is going to show up. It's almost part of the appeal of this team. Let's see which one shells up at noon on Saturday when they take on Notre Dame at the JMA Wireless Dome. That is going to be our next 
Syracuse basketball postgame show. If you haven't listened yet, a little football note, we had new Syracuse offensive coordinator Jeff Nixon on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. If you missed that, all the places you can get it, Syracuse Orange Sports on Syracuse.com, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed that conversation, Emily Liker and I had a really fun conversation with Jeff Nixon, who kind of laid out what he's going to be doing with the Syracuse football offense, working on some other stuff for you on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And our Syracuse Sports Insiders will always be a part of it. You'll always get a heads up who's on the podcast, your questions, your comments, your opinions, your insight, always a part of this podcast. And we thank our Syracuse Sports Insiders for being a part of it. And we would love for you to join the community today. Just text the word ORANGE to 315 847 3895. Try it free for two weeks. It's just $3.99 a month after that. And we would love for you to become a Syracuse Sports Insider. That's what we'll cut it off for tonight, friends. Syracuse wins a, a just a weird game, but a win nonetheless. 87 83 over NC State. From Mike Waters, I'm Brent Axe. This has been Syracuse Basketball Post Game presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare partner for SU Athletics. We'll catch you next time, guys.